Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, what will be the cost as the federal government and the provinces top up the wages of some essential frontline workers? We put forward around $4 billion from the federal government uh, to be matched. Uh, three quarters uh, from the federal government, one quarter from the provincial government on helping those workers right across the country. Canada's Chief Medical Officer of Health stresses the importance of testing for COVID-19 as provinces open up more businesses and services. Many provinces have actually increased quite substantially um, their testing as well. Quebec being an, actually a very good example of lab tests per day that is is continuing to go up as we speak. And can the military meet the demand for more personnel if provinces request help? It all depends on what the tasking, um, uh, the request would be. Uh, we are, in terms of the, uh, the work that we can do in the long-term care facilities, is dependent on the number of uh, military medical personnel that we have, including our doctors, our nurses. It's Friday, May the 8th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. So the federal government and the provinces are going to work together to top up the wages of some essential frontline workers. What does that look like and how much is it going to end up costing? Well, to be Honest, Mark, we don't actually have that many details. We know uh, on Thursday a deal was struck um, and announced between the federal government and the provinces that is basically worth $4 billion. The federal government will uh, kick in $3 billion, so three-quarters the provinces and territories will uh, pick up the rest of the tab. There are, it seems, no actual uh benchmarks, no uh, no requirements as to how the money should be spent and who should get it and how it should be doled out. The Prime Minister said that that would be left up to the provinces and the territories who will decide basically what low-wage workers, um, which ones should have access to this top-up. So um, could it be that in British Columbia, for example, you only have uh, people who work in long-term care facilities uh, getting the top-up and not people in the grocery stores, whereas in Alberta you have people at the grocery stores and people at long-term facilities? I mean, it's possible that it looks very different across the country. We have no idea. Yeah. All right. We'll see what happens. Uh, Let's turn to... The latest from Canada's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Teresa Tam, about the importance of testing, especially now that businesses and services are being opened up in some jurisdictions. Um, I know in in many places, including Ontario, there's been criticism of the lack of testing in big numbers. So are we getting to a point where more tests can occur? Well, it's very interesting you bring that up because yesterday... Uh, Dr. Tam was pressed about this, and so was Patty Haiti, the uh, health minister. Basically, what we've learned is that there are more than a million Canadians who have been tested. And right now, we're testing about 25,000 Canadians uh, every day. We have capacity, we are told by uh, Dr. Tam and the health minister, uh, to process 60,000 tests. Now, officials will say that 60,000 in the lab, so if we have public laboratory capacity to process 60,000. But Thursday, uh, neither Dr. Tam nor uh, Patty Heidi were willing to say exactly what is, uh, where are we stuck? You know, where is, who is responsible for this gap between 
the fact that we're only testing 25,000, but we have capacity for 60. So is it that we don't have enough tests? Is it we, that the provinces and the territories don't have enough people to administer the tests? Um, that was not an answer that was provided. I know Mike Lake, who's a Conservative MP from the Edmonton area, was pressing the health minister about this, but um, he did not get an answer to his question, uh, and he says he will ask again next Tuesday. I'm sure reporters who are on the call with Dr. Tam on Thursday uh, will try to ask again this morning uh, from the healthcare officials what exactly is the, the cause of this uh, this issue, because as Dr. Tam and Patty Heider have repeated, and as you just made the point, uh, they've consistently said that it's really important to ramp up testing, that we need to be testing more. They've been pretty clear that they would like to see us test more, um, but they don't seem to want to criticize the provinces. So it's unclear exactly, you know, is it, could Ottawa be doing more or is it the provinces that should be doing more? And it seems to me that testing is essential if more people are going to be out in public, uh, at workplaces, in schools, uh, at other locations where they're interacting with each other, the, the testing becomes even more crucial, doesn't it? So you know whether or not you should be quarantined. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the, right now what we've seen the provinces do in East Ontario was a good example. Um, you know, they didn't have that much testing capacity, but then when they did increase, they went to places like long-term care homes and they tested all the residents and they tested all the staff, and that's where we saw kind of the numbers really hike up. So right now only about 6% of the people who were tested seem to have uh, COVID-19, which is, uh, because we're not testing everybody, we don't really know how accurate that number is, yeah. right? It's probably a lot lower if we're testing more people. But if we do open things up, um, but there isn't, you know, the capacity to test yourself at home, for example, and you there aren't that many places where you can get tests and only certain people can get tests, you know, whether they're working uh, in the grocery store or whether they're working in a healthcare environment or they're cleaning. Because we know on Thursday that Dr. Tam mentioned that several of the people who have died in the healthcare environment are actually cleaners. Um, you know, they're, they're not necessarily people you think that come front in mind in terms of like nurses and doctors in terms of the people who would be getting tested, but everybody should be getting tested. But you're right, um, especially because there, there are so many apparently asymptomatic people carrying the disease that increasing testing will be uh, absolutely necessary if we are to, I would rather not say reopen the economy, but ease restrictions um, right. so that we can start uh, resuming life in this new normal world. Mm-hmm. A couple of provinces over the course of the past few weeks have asked for the help of the Canadian Armed Forces, and yesterday the Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan was asked whether the military can meet more demand if there is some. Uh, where where does the military stand on this? And, and I think it's worth pointing out they're being asked to do some things that are not part of their normal mandate in some cases. Yeah, not at all. What we've basically been told is that um, come mid-May, 1,350 uh, members of the Canadian Armed Forces will be working in about 25 long-term care facilities. Now, the vast majority of those individuals will be in Quebec. Ontario only has about 250 soldiers right now who are working in five seniors' homes. And um, the military doesn't have an infinite amount of medical personnel. So basically what General Vance uh, told reporters on Thursday was that... um, 
they're organizing themselves as teams, and every team is being led by a medical, a military medical personnel, who is you know looking after the seniors as required. And then they're supported by a number of soldiers who are carrying out orderly functions, so you know bedpans and cleaning and delivering food and that sort of stuff. Um, but because they are, have been called upon in such large numbers, what it has meant for the forces is that the number of medical staff that are usually spread across the bases in this country are now being kept at what the, the government called bare bones levels. So we don't actually know. Uh, the government was quite secretive about um, numbers. What they say for operational security, for example, we don't know how many military personnel members are actually sick with COVID-19. Um, but So we, we know how many are deployed um, yeah. And we know that it is causing a great strain on the forces, yeah. All right, let's turn to the Conservative leadership race. There's a caucus meeting this afternoon for the Conservative Party, and there is talk that Derek Sloan might face uh, some sanctions, maybe even be asked to be removed from the caucus. There was some momentum around that idea last week, but it didn't seem to get anywhere. Meanwhile, I think we are about a week away now from the cutoff date for memberships to be sold, which is an important milestone in this race. Yeah, May 15th is the last day that you can purchase a membership to the Conservative Party if you want to vote. And we've seen Aaron O'Toole uh, send out uh, an email blast this week saying, you know, my team has shown me polling numbers that say I can win and join us. A number of people that were uh, around Harper, Sean Spears, Carl Valley, have uh, endorsed Aaron O'Toole. So there's a bit of momentum on Mr. O'Toole's side. Uh, Peter McKay held a conference call with members uh, this week where he uh, made it very clear that he's a pro-choice candidate and kind of walked back some of the comments that um, had been made in an email that aired his name where he seemed to suggest that he was or he would have voted um, against uh, transgendered uh protecting uh, the rights of transgendered people. He said, no, uh, absolutely not. Uh, that that email, basically his team said, it had been sent uh, too hastily and that didn't represent his views. Um, so the latest in the Derek Sloan saga, who is another candidate in this race, um, you know, he's been sending out email blasts, but they don't seem to have, um, while they might be controversial, for example, he said he would uh, be completely opposed and reverse or basically ban um gender reassignment therapy uh, for children or adolescents. Um, that did not seem to get uh, much uh, much media pickup. But one thing that we do know that started last week um, that might see the light of day in this afternoon's caucus meeting is this vote about whether or not the Conservative caucus wants to have Derek Sloan uh, as part of, as a member of their team. Uh, they needed 25 signatures uh, to get a vote call by caucus. I'm told that they have at least 27. Um, so it could very well be on the agenda, to be honest, Mark. I would be surprised if they do kick him out, but you never know. I've been surprised before. Okay. We'll see what happens. Althea, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Mark. Stay safe. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacourt asks if Justin Trudeau would call an election during a pandemic. Delacourt writes, Some high approval ratings have set off speculation that the Prime Minister may use the crisis to turn his minority into a majority, and sooner rather than later. 
Most would say this theory belongs on the same page as stories of 5G networks spreading the coronavirus. And for what it's worth, senior liberals appear to be scoffing at the mere suggestion. But if Canada can't have an election until the nation has returned to normal, that means, by Trudeau's own definition of normal, this government is staying in power until there is a vaccine. In The Ottawa Citizen, Andrew McDougall argues that when it comes to China, Justin Trudeau needs to sound more like Aaron O'Toole. McDougall writes, While O'Toole's new Cold War language and aggressive posture might appear saucy to some, it has the benefit of sounding like common sense to all Canadians who don't make their living sucking at the Chinese teat. Instead of banging on about assault rifles, every Conservative candidate should beat Justin Trudeau like a drum for his weakness on China. They should also speak up in full-throated support of Canada's real friends in Hong Kong and Taiwan. In the Globe and Mail, Irfan Dalla argues elimination, not adaptation, is the courageous COVID-19 choice for Canada. Dalla writes, A new report from Australia's leading universities defines two goals that every country must choose between in deciding how to tackle COVID-19, elimination and controlled adaptation, limiting the spread by repeatedly relaxing and tightening restrictions. But that means accepting Canadians will continue to die of COVID-19 every month. No one knows when a vaccine will be available. Until then, we need a range of tactics to minimize harm from the new disease. But we also need a clear objective, and that should be to eliminate COVID-19. In the National Post, Jonathan Kay argues the Conservative leadership contest shows the need for reform. Kay writes, In Canada, we've done such a good job demonizing the American system that we've forgotten that bringing new faces into politics becomes difficult if up-and-comers don't have the means to generate name recognition or promote new ideas. What would best serve Canada is a political culture that allows the adequate funding of professional campaigns without creating a U.S.-style system that transforms politicians and their staff into full-time bagmen. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will chair the Cabinet meeting, followed by his daily update on the coronavirus situation. Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley and Governor-General Julie Payette will take part in a virtual ceremony to mark the 75th anniversary of the liberation of the Netherlands and VE Day. The ceremony will be broadcast through the Canada Remembers Facebook page. And Green Party Parliamentary Leader Elizabeth May will host a virtual town hall meeting this evening for constituents in her riding. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, May the 8th. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day and weekend for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.